Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out at publishersweekly.com slash comics. You can also uh, subscribe uh, to us on iTunes and on social media. We're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld and on Twitter we're at pwcomicsworld. This week on More to Come, uh, The Week in Comics, uh, Fanagraphic goes Kickstarter, Marvel and Netflix team up, Disney Publishing and Graphic Novels, uh, The Fabulous Jules Pfeiffer, and uh, the first annual Push and Kick Awards. So, The Week in Comics, and it was a rich week. uh, Well, The Week in Comics events, really. Yes, The Week in Comics uh, events. Calvin, I think you were were, uh, here for Comic Arts Brooklyn, which you've written about and talked about quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So, how was that? I I managed to miss it for reasons that will become clear. We will will discuss that as well. Well, um, you can uh, very easily say a seamless transition from the Book and Comics and Graphics Festival to Comics Art Brooklyn. Uh, overseen by one of the co-organizers of the previous show uh, who has shepherded into this new era. Um, really, obviously, there wasn't very much different in the sense that it was in the <laughs> same location with the same exhibitors. Everyone was pretty much in the same tables that they were. I at, understand some people the wore, wore the same clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for comics people, that's not terribly unusual. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, there were a few. There was a little moving around. I mean, Dan Nadell and Picture Box, they were upstairs this time mm-hmm. in a slight different location. But pretty much it was the same. Uh, probably the biggest... Trans- uh, the biggest change or tweak was that there were much wider aisles on the main floor upstairs this year. Well, a small change, but actually turned into be a really big one. It was eminently more sort of movable, aroundable mm-hmm. up there uh, as the, as the floor got crowded, and it was crowded really all day. Though it did start slow. Uh, by the time I got there, and I got there right after. Um, attending the City of Glass panel, mm-hmm. which was outstanding. Uh, I, I can try to say a little bit about that. But I must have gotten there probably about noon or mm-hmm. so. No, really it was later than that because they started the, the doggone um, City of Glass panel much later. So it's probably about 12.30 when I got there. And it was just really starting to fill up. Uh, the lower level was just jammed the whole time. Um, but it didn't get the uh, incredible stuffiness on the top level mm-hmm. floor until much later in the day. So it was bearable. And even when it got that way, it wasn't quite as bad. But really, you could move around much easier. Up right. Because last year, as I recall, it was, you know, it's absolutely fabulous show. But it, yes. it not only got crowded. that way. But to be brutally honest, in the, given the winter time frame, sometimes people begin to sweat a little bit. And it got very funky in there. And in fact, it was so stinky and sweaty that the... Um, uh, like <laughs> signs were peeling off the wall. It just got yes. a little extreme. So I'm I'm glad to hear it didn't quite hit yes, that level. It did but get quite but you know, level. but I mean, it just shows that you know the big question about Comic Arts Brooklyn it, about Brooklyn BCGF and now Comic Arts Brooklyn mm-hmm. is how does this show grow? Because I mean, that's really the problem. Yeah. And I mean, sales from what I've seen were off the hook, and the number Everyone of books were absolutely fantastic. Great stuff. You know, preview mm-hmm. like great books and drawn quarterly. Um, you know, yes. Picture Box, um, Koyama Press, and, and individual cartoonists. So, I mean, how does this show grow? I mean, I think that's really the issue. I think the they issue. need a new venue. That's how they grow. Yeah, yeah but that I, ain't easy. Yeah, that's not going to be easy. And I think there is a there is a spectacular convenience to this, this space that I don't think that they're going to be quick to give up. 
and I think that that's one of the things the exhibitors like about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think they like the uh, predictability of the space, uh, its convenience, um, uh, the panels. But stinkiness is convenient to no one. Well, this is this is true. The panel, uh, the programming was is very small, but it's very effective. Um, just as I was saying, the city of glass panel brought together the entire creative team mm-hmm. of really a landmark uh, publication. Um, a very interesting, uh, uh, the City of Glass novel, as well as the uh, graphic novel adaptation, um, you know, is considered a postmodern right. Right. document. Uh, well, you know, Paul Auster, the, uh, the author of the book, and Art Spiegelman, mm-hmm. who was there, who uh, actually was uh, the sort of the editorial, rather the art direction overseer of the series it was supposed to be a part of, the Neon Lit series. They both scoffed at any notion that this thing was postmodern. <laughs> they they, they <laughs> laughed off any connection with the uh, the what it was the poststructuralism or deconstruction. Uh, this was uh, an exercise in modernism in breaking down the anatomy of comics uh, and building a story around that. Uh, they also had the actual adapters, Paul Karasik and um, uh, David Mazzucchelli there, uh, and it was uh, moderated by uh, Bill Cardinalopoulos. So uh, uh, got started a half an hour late, a little annoying, uh, <laughs> uh, because everyone was there, so we were sort of drumming our fingers saying, why aren't we starting? That said, great conversation. Um, well, if everyone was there, why didn't it start? Uh, there were some problems with the uh, clicker. AV, always the AV, uh, and, the great Achilles um, heel. He, you know, really I think Bill wasn't going to be able to control it except by word and hand signals, and I don't think he was too happy with that. That's, was, that's my, what I surmised um, standing in the back, because it was a standing room only crowd to get in there. We got there a half an hour early, and there was a line already out of wow. the knitting factory to the end of the block, but everybody got in. Um, uh, Paul Karasik was um, uh, was was credited for coming up with the book's distinctive uh, nine-page, uh, nine-panel grid, uh, and also he was given credit for getting them to focus on the conceptual structure of the novel rather than trying to come up with just retelling mm-hmm. the plot. Well, that is really what made it yes, a successful absolutely. classic, and I mean, you know, given uh, the the uh, participation of David Mazzucchelli, you wouldn't expect any less. But I mean, what really made it a classic is that it took a very difficult novel and transformed it into a graphic novel with by keeping the sense and not the content, the form. So, you know, that's that's really why it's a landmark. So it's kind of a formalist landmark, but as you know, as well as being a great book. But Um, they also pointed out that it was pretty much uh, ignored uh, completely. In fact, by its own publisher, for the most part. Uh, That's always and, a bad sign. And um, but I couldn't help but point out in my article that it one of the four reviews it got when it came out was a glowing review in Publishers Weekly. Well, Calvin, so you know what there people you go. really need to uh, you know you have done so much over the years for comics. So you know you deserve an award or something. <laughs> oh wait, <laughs> we're gonna get to that. All right, yeah. <laughs> All right. But uh, comics are Brooklyn alive and well, and um, we will see where it goes. It's back yeah. to the gills, so we'll yeah. see where it goes from here. But no, great, great show. You know, meanwhile, the reason I wasn't. There there was because I was an invited guest now to the North Carolina Comic Con in Durham, North Carolina, which, you know, do, it doesn't sound like, um, you know, the be as much up my alley as Comic Arts Brooklyn. But to be honest, I was I was invited quite a while ago and I, I have family down there. And uh, so, you know, I wanted to honor my commitment to them. And um, Comic Arts Brooklyn was 
announced in July. So I'd already kind of made plans. So anyway, I felt very bad though, but, but I, you know, it's a really nice show and, and uh, it's just kind of typical of the small regional shows that we're seeing and having great success. Last year I was also there and they had, um, a, a, the fire marshal came and shut it down. I mean, they had a ludicrously <laughs> small room this uh, last year. When I looked at how it had expanded this year and I realized how small the room was, I, I was just amazed that they'd even tried to do it. But they had a pretty good guest list with Neil Adams, Gail Simone, Jeff Darrow. So, um, you know, really strong. And, and again, just a little local show. So uh, lots of people dressed up and costumes. And I, I mean, what really made this a great time for me personally was not the comic con, but just the fact that Durham is the number one foodie town in America, as they kept telling me over and over again. I don't By know. what standard? Well, that's a question that I asked, but, um, you know, given the amount of artisanal bacon I ate in three days, um, I, I'm not going to argue with that, but really sure Durham, sign. Durham is a really uh, town on the upswing and, uh, it has a nice little arts crowd. And in fact, there was a indie comics, a calf, as I call them, uh, just down the road called Dice, which is the Durham Indie Comics Expo. And uh, it's just a short walk away, 10-minute walk. Uh, so I went and checked that out. It was a pretty small, small event. Um, Tom Hart was there. Joan Riley was there. Um, but it had a lot of workshops. It was very much focused on workshops. It was organized by Rob Clough, who's a um, comics, a local comics critic. And there was actually quite a few comics critics from the area who were at the show. So I think they all had kind of a little... Um, summit meeting, but uh, you know, they had this kind of cool thing that was homemade paper roller where you drew on it and then they turned a big wooden homemade crank and you drew more as like an exquisite corpse skin. So, so it was really focused on craftiness and um, it was a really nice spirit, I would say, to that. So, all in all, um, a good time for comics. Um, I did moderate the publishing panel with Dinesh Shamazani from Valiant. Um, and now two people whose names I'm not going to remember, but um, Kevin Freeman from Action Lab and Mike from Third World Studios, his last name is Osorio. I think it was Mike Osorio. But uh, it's kind of an interesting because two smaller publishers of Action Lab and Third World and Valiant. And, um, you know, they're coming on. Uh, Action Lab especially is getting a lot of attention these mm -hmm. days. You know, they just published Molly Janger and hired Jamal Igel, the artist, to be their marketing director. But they're doing a lot of all ages material which as we've seen just does better and better and better and um, you know valiant kind of interestingly they just uh well this is nepotism alert but they just released a digital only comic today uh in the comicsology guided view format uh written by someone i know very well ben mccool ah, yeah. well i, uh, I have like something i have something good to say <laughs> about uh, valiant which is that some friends of mine were taking a script course from one of their editors mm -hmm. and they were taking it to the third ward and the third ward art center basically went bankrupt and just the first anyone taking their classes heard about it was come pick up your work before we sell it right <laughs> and then they locked all the doors mm -hmm. so then they still had half a script course to do and valiant said you can come have your class here at our oh. offices oh that's nice no yeah. they're very much you know in, you need to do some more. Uh, yeah, they're very much in the industry. But yeah. but I was going to say that uh, Dinesh did mention that they are talking to, they have a lot of connections, a lot of backing, and they're talking to a lot of people to do a lot more things that are kind of interactive storytelling. Um, but, uh, you know, this is definitely an avenue that all three publishers were talking about, actually, even one as small as Third World Studios. So um, it's interesting and definitely some more stuff coming in, in that direction. So, um, In addition, uh, 
to the cons and the um, uh, festivals we talked about, there has also uh, we were also both at the um, Art Spiegelman Comics Art retrospective at the comics Jewish Museum. Re- yes, uh, oh my god! It, it kind of the comics community came out uh, to kind of support support their own. Um, uh, it really was kind of amazing. If uh, in particular, I think we talked about it a little bit. We kind of forgotten the claustrophobic intimacy of Mouse. Yeah. I mean, the original pages were there. I mean, it's kind of amazing. He drew the thing same size. Um, but it really was extraordinary, really, to see, um, you know, uh, you Wait, know, really he, arts he, corpus spread out yeah. in front of you. He drew Mouse at the... At the same size wow. of the yeah, book. Yeah, same yes. size. It's yeah. really kind of breathtaking. And I, the, they have, like, probably 100 pages of Mouse there with some pages that are notes. Um, you yeah. know, I, to me, we also mentioned this. Uh, Calvin and I both went to, like, a preview night about uh, over a week ago, but... Um, is that when you think of Art Spiegelman, you really do think of Mouse and you think of Raw and you yes. don't think of that much else, really. I mean, he's had a couple mm-hmm. of comics retrospectives and even in the shadow of No Towers, his book that came out, I mean, it was only like 24 pages long. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it was not a huge... really big it pages. Was, it was, yes, really they were very large, pages. but it was concise. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just like, even if you think that Spiegelman hasn't done that much, and you know, he really has. And this... Uh, this retrospective covers like a, you know a large gallery at the Jewish Museum and yeah. and uh, just in all levels aside from his um, New Yorker covers uh, art from Raw um, special things that he did like the Wild Party so oh, some yes. interactive mm-hmm. things he yeah. you know he uh, he has collaborated with ballet companies and musical theater. Um, just a lot, the lot early of early underground th- years. Yeah. Um, it's all there, and um, um, and it's pretty, pretty extraordinary to see him go as a kind of a comics guru, if not the comics guru, and grow from someone who's you know in the underground, kind of finding his yeah. own way to something as groundbreaking and uh, you know industry changing, medium changing as Mouse, mm. and then really become a conceptual artist of uh, amazing yeah. uh, power. So yeah, I very much. If you like comics, you must see this yeah. show. And. And, and uh, while I was there, actually talking with uh, the cartoonist Peter Cooper, and really in some ways what we we're talking about there really sort of encapsulates this entire week in some ways that, you know, we, we were joking how we're sort of walking through our dreams that this show and other events and other changes in the world of, of reading comics, really uh, the world that we thought about, say, 20, 25 years ago, we're, we're kind of living in it now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. A world where you can walk into a Barnes and Noble and there is a pretty good selection of a book format comics waiting for you. Yeah, you know, I never doubted that this is going to happen. Yeah. Though mm-hmm. I always believed. So you know, clap if you yes. believe. Yes, there you go. We Tinkerbell. all believe. Yes, yeah. save Tinkerbell. And there's more to come, of course. <laughs> so yes, yeah. yeah. All right, moving right on. Fantagraphics and Kickstarter. Oh boy! Yes. What, Speaking of uh, clap, what if a you combination. Fantagraphics, uh, look, lots of people go to, to Kickstarter to fund a project or to come up with the, a few extra shekels to, even, for Even promotion. publishers do. But, but Fantagraphics essentially was funding their entire 2014 spring list. There are 39 titles. Um, uh, there, I, you know, I did a story on it on um, at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Uh, initially, it was meant in response to a sort of worsening cash flow problem that seemed to be building up over the years, uh, in particular exacerbated by uh, the passing away of Kim Thompson and the books that he was doing, about 13 titles uh, in his Eurocomic series. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, now, Gary Groth, the uh, publisher of Fantagraphics, admitted that these books were not 
going to be that profitable anymore. But even but, so. But even so, the revenue uh, exacerbated the pro- uh, progress. So, but even the money that they made was, uh, I guess as he pointed out, there's a, a pretty, like Calvin did a very detailed write-up on this, and then there's also a very detailed interview on uh, Commerce Reporter, as yes. well as one on CBR. Um, between the three of them, they yes. really grilled Gary, and I, he, you know, he, of course he answered back in Gary Groth fashion, but you know, he pointed out that the overhead associated with these books still exists, and yes. it's not a shortfall. For those who are questioning, shortfall wasn't upcoming shortfall, it's an existing shortfall. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, some would also question, though, uh, in some of the interviews where Gary said, like, I think he told you that he suddenly, you know, was looking at the bottom line. It was like, hey, what's going on here? Whereas yeah. in another interview, he yeah. said he looked at his bottom line every day. So, Well, he <laughs> said that to me as well. I mean, it, it, what, well, it, maybe what he, he said to me was all of the, the business's indicators, you know, and I didn't grill him exactly on what indicators he was talking about, looked good. And he knew that there was an underlying shortfall, but he thought they could catch up. What happened was a few months back, it hit a wall where the accountants came to him and really said, this is a cliff looming in front of us. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, uh, Tom Spurgeon actually has a very much more detailed and actually much more amusing mm-hmm, yes. interchange with uh, with Gary in the, the comics reporter piece. But actually, in some ways, it's, it's useful to read for any you know uh, future publishers or wannabe publishers because it actually, I think, Gary gives some very good insights into the, how a publisher does monitor mm-hmm. uh, his cash flow, even though, obviously, <laughs> Fantagraphics has a long history of right. having problems monitoring right. its well, cash Right. Well, I mean, flow. that's the other thing. I, I, I mean, there's a lot There's a lot of aspects to this. And I, you know, there's a lot of cattiness inside the industry, let's be honest. And, you know, like, Fantagraphics has never gone out of their way to be the most liked publisher, and yet they are the most loved they, because they publish the, you know, the most amazing books. They publish great books over and over yes, again. Yes, over and over again. And, and when you look at the, you know, it's made a hundred, it made its goal of six-figure goal in seven days. So that's pretty impressive. How big will it get? We'll find out. But, you know, obviously the way Kickstarters go, it's got a lot of room to grow. However, just, just uh, you know, I think some other publishers who are indie comics publishers are a little bit, uh, I think there was kind of been some kind of maybe unspoken, mutually, uh, you know, mutually assured pact that publishers weren't going to go to Kickstarter on this, and now they have. That's well, done. that's all yeah. over well, but, now. <laughs> but I mean, there there have been any number of publishers that, like Vertical, for example, that have gone to Kickstarter for oh, specific sure. Yeah, but projects. they don't count because they're manga, Kate. <laughs> oh, I but, see. Yeah. But that's what's so extraordinary about this. It, it, it's not unusual for publishers to go to Kickstarter. It is unusual the scope of what uh, uh, Fantagraphics is doing here. And there were some critics uh, of this move, really vehement critics, that he was sort of misusing the, the company's resources uh, as far as you know, fulfilling the, the premiums and the, and, the, um, and the rewards. Well, you know what? I think that's a, uh, that is a point that, uh, of all the points, I think that one is the least... Uh, the least um, Germain, because Fantagraphics has a very extensive mail order department. They uh, they already have a huge warehouse. They actually ship out stuff. They've been doing mail order for years, and they ship it out. So they already have an existing infrastructure that's very much set up to do yeah. this. You know, I think a more germane criticism is just like as you mentioned, this is not the first time Fantagraphics has gone to the well, and in fact, they've done it many times over their history. Yes. They had. 
uh, about 10 years ago, they had a yes. buyer book sale. They also had an appeal that many felt even more. If you thought this Kickstarter raised some feelings that this one really kicked up some dust when they said they were being sued by Harlan Ellison yes, right. and they needed mm -hmm. help to get through yes. that. And, and, you know, at some point you're like, wow, does this company really know what they're doing? They well, certainly know what they're doing <laughs> as far as publishing great books. And the bottom line is they put publishing great books above being profitable. Well, yeah. but or when you being light, for that matter. Yes. But it, it, which turns out, as you said, that people love them. But one other thing is, uh, um, uh, uh, never mind, move on. My, that the, the thought I had escaped okay. me. It'll come back to me. Go on. I mean, Kate. really, when you look at it from a certain point of view, this is maybe one of their better financial decisions they've made in a while and one of their, their more responsible ones yes. because this way they'll be yes. able to pay their debts, they'll yeah. be able to bring their books out on time, fans will get what they want, and it's through sort of the structured nature of Kickstarter. And so Kickstarter that ha has shown itself to be a great sort of pre-promotional campaign for, right. you it, know, to it, get the word out about it, a book. This way it's not them saying, please give me money and you're not getting anything or give it to us like we're a charity on Kickstarter it's you know hey give us oh, a little cash get something and everybody wins and the elusive thought came back to me uh, Gary agreed when I asked him is, is this turning out to be or Kickstarter turning out to be perhaps the most efficient way to go hat in hand to the public to try to get some extra money and he said you know you might be right mm -hmm. yeah so. yeah so um yeah it's kind of a i mean you know good news and that fanographics is getting a huge influx of capital mm -hmm. and uh you know more to come yes, <laughs> as yes, we always yes. say like I, and i think the door is open uh, uh yes. as no shame in kickstarter anymore well, this is institutionalized <laughs> as a part of your publishing program yeah. periodically yeah. we're gonna see you know yeah. some people told me i think i mentioned on this very podcast that i heard that some trend watchers outside our industry just you know general trend watchers saying you know what kickstarter is going to be over by september i think they were wrong yeah, well if they wrong. mean over as in like hey look i'm so edgy i have a kickstarter you may not have heard of it then yes it's over if you mean kickstarter will no longer be useful or people will not be using it no, uh, no. oh no <laughs> this platform is only going to get bigger and, yeah. and more effective well speaking of bigger and more effective yeah. um boy talk about teaming up for huge uh marvel and netflix announced that incredible deal marvel disney and netflix which we'd been hearing about um that uh, there was rumors that marvel and netflix were talking mm. but the actual implementation was holy crap yeah yeah well i mean previously two years ago uh, Marvel, when they had been at New York Comic Con, had been talking about upcoming television shows and had said that they were planning a Jessica Jones show and that they were looking at a uh, Heroes for Hire show. And then nothing materialized about this when S.H.I.E.L.D. came to the fore. Um, so now we know where it went. Right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I mean, but what was announced is uh, four series for Netflix, uh, you know, all in one uh, binge watching format. Well, actually, um, five. Five. That's right. That's I, right. I, I like a, how they always say four, and then there's going to be a Defenders. Like, they are literally all going to team up well, at the end. Well, yeah. the way they're, I think the way it is, is that the Defenders is going to be a mini series. Right. And they are looking at Daredevil. Jessica Jones, Power Man, and Iron Fist as ongoing. Yeah, except it's Luke Cage, not Power Man. I think that's important to, no. to know. So. Of, course, um, of course. Yes, and then they will team as the Defenders, which will really be sad because I think of the Defenders as being Doctor Strange and the Hulk. But Although, yeah. the Defenders have gone through a number of lineups. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I have to say that I've heard some very good things from comic people about this because they felt like the S.H.I.E.L.D. show was made excessively bland 
mm-hmm. by ABC. Right. In oh, order, well. In order to be marketed to the widest possible audience, mm-hmm. um, it lost some of that comic book flavor. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it lost what makes TV flavor. I mean, it's so bland in the casting. I mean, we, I, I think we talked about this last time, didn't yeah. we? Go a on? couple yeah, times ago. Um, well, I, I have, I have watched the most recent episode, so and I, I think it has improved. But I feel like, like they does feel like they were there. Are a couple characters were there for demographic reasons, by which I oh, mean sure. the quote unquote young hot male lead. And uh, I don't know what he's doing there, man. They but should give him personality. A, but you know what? Let me ask you this. What about those two English kids, like the Bobsy twins? Are those, like, supposed to be the companions? Are they supposed to be, like, Doctor Who ripoff? No, or? no, no, no. They're... Yeah, I, I, well, yeah, I'm not Well, sure we could go that. on... Well, but, one... Um, but they're uh, actually, actually they're the more interesting characters more in interesting. the series. <laughs> As the series has gone on, they've been much more interesting. Yeah. Um, although, hilariously, in Fanish circles, no one will believe that my last name is my real last name anymore because my last name is Fitzsimmons. And that is the name by which these two characters are called, because clearly they can never be separated long enough to be called by their individual last names. Mm. Uh, but anyway, um, they've improved. I don't know what's going you know, on with the This leads. show is crazy. This show can be sort of engaging and completely cheesy and, and, and dumb all within the space of Well, you know hour. what? Anyway, it's up yeah, and down. it is. But, but, yeah. but the hardcore comic fans are very happy about the Netflix yeah. deal because pretty much every Netflix series... Right. has has been very uh, nichey, very um, eccentric, and yet very well written. Yeah. And so that's exactly what hardcore I, comic yeah, people I want. Mean, will if, this be one of the binge deals? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. All the, the whole all, show all the will go up at once, once mm-hmm. and you can just sit and watch it at your yeah. own pace. Every comic yeah. fan will look hungover the next day at yeah. work. And, <laughs> you know, the thing is that, uh, you, the, again, with S.H.I.E.L.D., it's just like, you know, what decade is this? I mean, you know, the, it, it's shot like murder, she wrote. It's know? very popular me, with 12-year-olds. There were more sophisticated fight scenes on The Man from uncle yes I'm telling and, you. and <laughs> i will tell you this. this is amazing while i was at north carolina comic-con i said to people i said you know kids will because this was a big topic all over i said i bet your kids love it and like i did hear like guys would come up with their seven or eight year old daughter and or 11 years old and i they would be complaining and they, they'd say oh but she loves it you know and like if i was a little kid i would love she sure. so hopefully these netflix shows will not be made for small children yet <laughs> well, i feel like there's a sweet spot between the two as see man from uncle mm-hmm. um they just haven't quite hit it yet yeah so right. anyway all right Oh, well, back to you, Heidi, again. Disney Publishing. Oh, yeah. Got a story well, about speaking that. about Disney, um, yeah, we had a story in today's, um, today's newsletter, which just came out, and, you know, make sure you subscribe because it's free and <laughs> informative. Uh, yeah, I finally got to talk to uh, Rich Thomas, who's the associate publisher of Disney Publishing Worldwide, and Tanya Gerdo, who's the VP of Licensing there, about just what they're doing with comics, because we've seen some kind of projects come out in dribs and drabs in recent years, and uh, they are doing their first, Disney's doing their first original graphic novel, which will be based on Space Mountain as part of a trilogy, and it's coming out next year. It's aimed very much, but literally by design, at boys ages 8 to 12, so it's, it's trying to hit the boy market. Um, you know, Disney has no problem with the girl market, as I've said many times. But, um, you know, it's, but it will be girl-friendly should they want to read it. So, I, you know, I think that's kind of interesting. I mean, the, one of my takeaway from talking to uh, both Thomas and Gerdo is that Disney is still doing things kind of in dribs and drabs. They don't have in domestically a real program in place. And, in fact, I do know that there were some layoffs recently in the comics division. And um, it sounds like... 
uh, they might be licensing it out to another publisher. So that could be hmm. very interesting, hmm. um, needless to say. But worldwide. Boom. Go back to boom. Yeah, I know, right? I, I think that would be, mm. everybody liked it when they were doing uh, the Disney Afternoon comics and the Muppets and other Disney properties. But, um, you know, worldwide, Disney publishes 60,000 pages of comics a year. That's Pretty way amazing, more yeah. than any other publisher. Yeah. Uh, Seriously. Yeah, and yet yeah. none of it's ever seen here. So It's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, the mouse is, you know, is thinking about it. I think it's interesting to know that they are internally very aware of this stuff. And, um, you know, who knows what we might see from them at some point. Here, here's a hint, Disney. You could make it in, in uh, Italy and then just send it here. Uh, well, they do do that to some extent. They do. But I will say that Disney Italia sensibilities for comics are not quite hit here aside from you know remember they did witch remember that one yes yes that people was the, like that yeah. they did like it but it wasn't a smash the way it was no, throughout it was europe and, and, nbm has had some uh, my sporadic success in importing some of the mm -hmm. the disney yeah. um, Italia. um uh, italian comics uh, yeah not a lot but from time to time he has something uh it is odd but yeah they published so many comics when almost None of it is seen here, including, um, as I recall, when they were at the Eisner's this past year, they were talking about um, Don Rosa and the the, the McDuck, the Scrooge McDuck comics, which were pretty much not here. Am I you know, Very few of them. Right. Very well, Fantagraphics is collecting them. Yeah, but now, well, now, yeah, 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 Fantagraphics is going to be publishing yes. them here. Uh, yeah, it's never really yeah. clicked. Disney comics have clicked yeah. everywhere, but yeah, domestically. But the, the, I, I had to get them in German. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. it. But I will say the Space Mountain project is yeah. one that is uh, domestically made, and because the first of its kind, it's going to have the Disney Comics logo on it, and according to uh, Thomas, they want to do more. So hopefully yeah. there will be more, but anyway, we'll see. Um, it's funny how our company that in most people's minds it's synonymous with comics and certainly cartoons but you know mm -hmm. yeah hard yeah. to find their comics anyway it's hard uh, to find their cartoons too sometimes uh, <laughs> um, well, Marvel had, Avengers is never on TV at the same time twice I swear I had uh, well I get the pleasure uh, of relating my own uh, incredible pleasure of a um, basically an exclusive interview with uh, really the legendary uh, cartoonist, uh, playwright, screenwriter, New York literateur, uh, Jules Pfeiffer. Um, I was able to, uh, probably about a year and a half ago, I got to break the story that uh, he's doing a, a graphic novel. Really, if you don't count Tantrum and really, mm -hmm. <laughs> really right. an, an amazing uh, legacy of, of books of all kinds, uh, uh, it would be his first graphic novel, certainly his first self-conscious graphic novel that he wanted to do a book format comic in a novel form. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, he's doing it for Liverite, the Liverite Publishing Division of W.W. Norton. Uh, so he uh, offered up uh, just a sort of a quick teaser interview just about what was going. I've had the great good fortune to read about 60 pages of the book. It's going to be much longer. Mm -hmm. uh, it will be published in August uh, of next year. Uh, but it's an absolute delightful book. Um, it's... Um, uh, inspired uh, by the thir 1930s noir comics, you know, think the Maltese Falcon. It's full of stock characters, uh, you know, the uh, the the loser, drunken private eye, the long suffering widow uh, with a, a plucky daughter who hates her mother. Uh, there are prize fighters. There's of course a mysterious, beautiful woman. Uh, there's a mystery, but the characters may be stock. 
but the dialogue, the interactions between them are just, they crackle with mm-hmm. life. His dialogue is wow. snappy, to say the least. Uh, he's great to talk to. He's 84 years old. Um, uh, says that uh, this is, he's been waiting his whole life to do this. Uh, you know, the, uh, for those who don't know, I mean, Jules Pfeiffer really came in the comics at the dawn of the American comic book industry. Right. Uh, he worked yeah. for Will Eisner as a teenager. Uh, says those were the strips that he always wanted to right. do, but he didn't have the drawing chops. Right. Uh, now he feels like he can do it, that he can, you know, he says, that, you know, with uh, uh, obviously with noir, you've got to be able to do the cars, the fog, the, the shadows against the wall. Uh, so this book has all of that. It has some great characters. Uh, he's already planning a sequel. Uh, he did his research. He says, I've got a 63-inch flat screen TV and Turner <laughs> Classic Movies. We'll get a credit in the book. That's great. Uh, he was just a delight to talk to. And uh, uh, you really feel like you're connecting really with comic book history. Yeah, well, I mean, this will be one of the premier publishing events of 2014. It's going to be an event. It's going to be I mean, he's absolutely, you know, unparalleled career, as you say, in so many different media. And uh, this is the capper for it, you know? So, wow. Called Kill My Mother, and it will be published in um, August 2014. So both Jules Pfeiffer and Disney are doing their first graphic novels. There you go. It's a brand new (laughs) world, lady. It's the we're living in our dream world. We're living in our dream. Yeah. Uh, Welcome to the future. All right. So, uh, and we'll, well segue know, from the. Uh, well, shoot, I was going to say, right now we mm-hmm. were joking earlier about how Calvin should get an award <laughs> for all of his efforts. But as a matter of fact, Calvin, you did get an award uh, this past Friday the Push and Kick Award. Yes, now, uh, that sounds a little violent, or it sounds like yeah. it might have something to do with t-ball maybe or you know <laughs> kids judo so can, tell, tell us what well, it was about i think it's mostly about just the existential struggle to make something happen against you know against all odds you know. well basically uh i among uh, uh really there were three awardees i was one uh the fabulous karen green graphic novel librarian at columbia university and uh, stephen heller uh the dynamic stephen heller uh, uh chair of the mfa in design program at the school of visual arts um the author of over 140 or 50 books on design and graphics uh he was instrumental in bringing comics uh, authors and writers into the new york times uh so uh we were given the first annual push and kick awards for excellence in graphic books. Wow. Uh, this was put together by Seven Stories Press and its publisher, Dan Simon. Uh, at the same time, it was also a launch party for the final volume of the graphic canon. Right, which is an amazing uh, book amazing we talked about three before. Volume, uh, uh, three volume um, uh, ad- adaptations of over 200 literary classics by over 150 artists uh, in a box set with the, with that, the final version is out. Uh, was also sponsored by Publishers Weekly, Together.com, and the Society of Illustrators, where it was held. So it was a really, uh, you know, a great event. Um, we got our plaques. Uh, we got our props. Um, uh, the drinks were drunk. The oh, cocktails yeah. were flowing. And really a good time was had yes. by all well, of Congratulations. Congratulations, Calvin. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry I wasn't there to see the, uh, you know, event. Where is the award now? Are you going to keep uh, it at I, home or here in the uh, office? Well, it's at home right now. I could bring it in to show it off to yeah. people. But, uh, and I may do that. I'm just trying to decide, should I hang it in my office or should I hang it over, you know, my stereo? With, the mantle. Uh, do you have a mantle for your award? I awards? don't have a mantle, but I have like, um, I have bookshelves <laughs> everywhere. As do uh, we all. Yes. But uh, anyway... 
Uh, I was also fortunate uh, in 2006 to receive the Bob Clampett Award from uh, San Diego Comic Con. This will most likely go right next to it. I'm uh, humbled, and it was a very, uh, you know, I was, I was humbled to be up there on the stage with Karen and Stephen Heller. Well, well deserved. You know, so, well um, deserved. So that's my little 15 minutes of fame. Moving right on. Congratulations. News briefs. News briefs. Hayao Miyazaki's final film, The Wind Rises, has just come to the U.S. It is now here for only a couple weeks in New York and Los Angeles, but of course it will come to DVD soon. And he has left the anime directing business, according to him. And according to his co-worker, um, producer Toshio Suzuki, his next thing he's doing is he's working on a manga and it's going to be a samurai manga now he may have been joking it's not entirely clear but um news outlets are reporting it anyway with great yes. excitement so yeah. who knows you know maybe in a year or two we will see a hayao miyazaki manga yeah well and it wouldn't be his first as uh mm-hmm. nasuke of the valley wind so mm-hmm. you know he's uh so. that would be really yeah, so that's uh, how to do that's how to do retirement yeah. man yeah but as we were talking about this the the film seems to be getting some controversy has generated yeah, around it's, it's it because of the... set in the real world. Mm-hmm. And it's from the point of view of, or at least focusing on the um, Japanese military engineer behind a, a very beautiful plane that was also used to do a lot of damage. Yeah, the Japanese Zero, the, the great yeah. the fighter plane that, yeah, that basically harassed American forces throughout the right. World War Two, And, I mean... I. Haven't seen the movie yet, yeah, no, I but see it. It, it does seem to be focusing on the contradiction between the art of, of mm, creating yes. something with such love and the yeah. damage it can do. And so I can see how some people might feel that this was trivializing the damage done in war, but I think it's fascinating. I think it could be a very interesting story. <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, meanwhile, Image had been announcing that they were going to have a big announcement on November 11th and had been <laughs> teasing it with with like 11 11 11 11 they pre-announced of course no one knew what they were yeah. pre-announcing and so on 11 11 they said we're going to have another image con and everyone went okay when and the answer was in two months so it's <laughs> kind of amazing so yeah hardly giving anyone any time to buy plane tickets on January 9th, there will be another Image Con in Sandy in San Francisco. Isn't this right in the middle of Angolan? No, Angolan's no. at the end of the month. Is it the end of the month? But also, uh, you know, it was just announced that WonderCon is going to be in Anaheim again this year. So mm. their Bay Area is bereft it's of Comic Cons right now. Mm. Well, no, it's non hopping. Oh, it's not hopping. Non hopping. It's, no, it's, not it's going to be Anaheim. In Anaheim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, there's Ape and there's Image <laughs> Expo, and I guess San Jose has a con, but San Francisco is still lacking for its big giant con. Mm. So, uh, meanwhile, speaking of of lacking. Um, Sandman Overture, the obvious hit of the season, you know, it's it's a sort of prequel to Sandman coming mm-hmm. out from Neil Gaiman, um, had its first issue, and then suddenly news came out that issue two would not be coming out until January, which made very unhappy fans, and there was much speculation on why this might be until Neil Gaiman fessed up and said that he had been distracted by his book tours. He's very sorry. Um, the thing is, this was already a bi-monthly book. Yeah. So if they can't even make two months, 
<laughs> it kind of makes you wonder if this is going to turn into like Marvel's Halo comic problem. <laughs> One hopes not. Well, I, you know, in Neil's defense, he did have a really extensive two month, like he insanely did. busy tour. That, That's uh, true. But, you know, the guy does love to travel just in general. So, I mean, it's hard to get him to stay at home for more than like two weeks at a time. <laughs> but uh, I feel like a pre planned two month crazy book tour was a foreseeable obstacle. Well, I, I think, you know, this probably, this project was probably announced last year, let's face True. it. And uh, it was announced last year at San Diego, so it's probably in the works since then. And, you know, in the meantime, you're saying, hey, Mr. Famous Novelist, probably, you know, one of the top five most famous writers on earth, uh, we want you to write this comic book. And, um, you know, he's got <laughs> he's got a lot he's of things to do. So you got to really ro- stay on yeah. him. And, um, you know, hey, you know what? Karen Berger's not there anymore, so... <laughs> Make of this what yeah, you will. Yeah, make of it what you will. So, <coughs> uh, but speaking of popular comics, um, March from Representative John Lewis, which we've talked about many times before on this yes, co- yes, on this show. Yes. Uh, what about well, best books of the year? True. Well, Rachel Maddow was able to do what we could not, and when <laughs> he w- <laughs> when he went on her show to promote the book, it shot up to number twelve on Amazon. So congratulations yes, yes. to Representative Lewis and thanks to Matt. Andrew yeah. Iden, uh, by the way, was at the uh, Push and Kick Awards. Uh, was he Because really? he was in town for Comic Arts Brooklyn. The, the, the Representative Lewis wasn't there, but uh, Andrew, who yeah. is a bit a, a comic geek. He's a fanboy, man. He's a total fanboy. He's boy. a big old fanboy. He, uh, he was on hand for both events, so it was really yeah. nice to see him. Yeah. So there will be more to come. Yes. Yeah, there will. Um, on, oh, uh, then one more, uh, Ms. Marvel. Oh, that's right. Yes. I am sorry. Um, also, Marvel has announced its new Ms. Marvel. Ever since Ms. Marvel became Captain Marvel, there was a gap in the lineup. Obviously, this needed to be filled. Uh, and Marvel is filling it with a comic from G. Willow Wilson in which the new Ms. Marvel will be a shape-shifting Pakistani-American teenager who uh, looks up to Carol Danvers and wants to fill her shoes. Yeah. Well, and, you know, yeah. and nice, nice Muslim nod. Muslim America response. Nice, yes, yes, nice little nod to diversity there. Yeah. And, and, you know, I give Marvel props. I mean, yeah, you know, would they really... Yeah, great idea. And, and yeah. if you're going to have someone write it, G. G. Willow Wilson, Wilson would yeah, be the one. Who just won the World Fantasy Award, by the way, oh, actually, for her yeah, novel. Yeah, yeah, she won the World Fantasy Award yeah. for Alif the Unseen. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she's developing quite a career yeah, for herself. Yeah. And she's uh, actually... And a Muslim American herself. Yes, yes, she is. And she's a really good writer. And, you know, she who loves comics. And she deserves to get some... <laughs> comics time in there. <laughs> Although now she'll be, you know, also a world famous author who doesn't have time to write comics eventually. <laughs> but she's not there yet. So there you go. anyway, but you know what? I'm going to mention one other thing here uh, that I think Calvin, did you go to the Jack Kirby pop up? Yes, I yes, did. That was, go yeah, to the Jack one Kirby pop-up. other pop-up. event. Pop, yeah, yes, Jack Mer- Kirby Museum pop up or pop up museum. Yeah, yeah, any yeah. Of it. Yeah, it was actually. I went to two nights down there. Uh, actually, went actually I went down there one night as they were closing. So I went down there three nights. What's well, right around the corner yes, from where yes, you live? So you did have yes, proximity. Yeah. Full, yeah. full disclosure, I, it's like two or two or three blocks from where I live. Uh, nevertheless, uh, really uh, great idea. Uh, Ran Hop, the uh, director, was there. Uh, I went on one night to uh, hear Pete Friedrich, uh, who does his his long running series, Lower East Side Stories. Um, so he had a delightful conversation mm-hmm. just about his comic, how it relates to uh, his own life living on the Lower East Side. <clears throat> um, 
And then I was back on the weekend when James Romberger of Seven Miles a Second, uh, in a world of Kirby nuts, James uh, rises to the top <laughs> as the one of the nuttiest Kirby nuts I've ever known. And I mean that in the best fullest sense. Uh, mm-hmm. He's kind of a, a self-taught scholar on Jack Kirby yeah. um, who, who met, uh, met Jack at some point in his life. Uh, he talked. He he just talked generally about his own engagement with, uh, with Jack Kirby. So that said, it was really a great, uh, great event. I think they're going to do something else. It was far too short. And Kate, you said yourself. That, yeah, uh, I mean, I. It's true that I don't hang out on Facebook promoted. or Twitter. But um, when I was spending time in the comics blogosphere and you know looking things up in listings in New York, because here I am, a comic fan who lives in New York, and last week wanted to go to an exhibit somewhere. Uh, this showed up nowhere on my radar, and the only time I heard about it was suddenly everyone was writing about it after it closed. Right. Yeah. Well, everyone was pissed off that it was only a week, and so uh, Rand did sort of make ambiguous remarks at the end of the uh, the day on Sunday that you know that they're going to be back. So well, we'll have to see. Yeah. You know, the actual birthplace of Kirby is around the corner. Yeah. Which yeah. Uh, yeah. some people have tried to make more of a thing about maybe getting a plaque on there or something, but um, apparently there's some reasons that that is not feasible, uh, which is unfortunate. But um, yeah. Hmm. But um, anyway, yeah, I hope hopefully there's more to come on that because that's a great, great way to attribute the great Jack Kirby. I, I will say one thing. The end of last week, uh, I was speaking about um, going to see the hyperbole and a half oh, yes, dash signing. Yes, yes. And it was so crazy that I got there. The signing was supposed to be at seven. I got there at seven. The line was already around the block. Wow. But wow. when I finally got in, they said, oh, no, this is just the line to buy the book. We will wow. then give you a little piece of paper that says what group of the signing you're in. And it says your group H. And they said, well, just go go away, have a drink, come back. Wow. So I and my friends go, have dinner, come back. Oh, it's, what, what group is it on now? I said, B. They said, okay. I came back. My tag said H. Mm-hmm. I came back an hour later after eating dinner. I said, what group is it on? They said, C. <laughs> and I was like, I wow. think I will go home. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. She'll be signing the next day. Yeah, yeah. I know. She's, I mean, uh, yeah, that book wow. is, is amazing. Really, it was uh, Amazon's yeah. number one graphic novel of the year. So, wow. Yeah. yeah. I think I they kind of underestimated it. popularity mm-hmm. when they booked that signing because yeah. it was crazy. Wow, that, yeah. that's pretty amazing because I've only heard about the book and never and haven't read it myself, but I intend to. Well, it, it, conveniently, most of it is a webcomic, and you can go to her site. Yeah, um, terrific. Well, I'd like to plug one last thing before we go off is that uh, this Friday, November fifteenth, uh, at the United Palace Theater uh, in Washington Heights, I will be uh, doing a public uh, conversation with Juno Diaz. Uh, the the great novelist about his wow. short story collection. Uh, this is how you lose her, uh, and the special edition that he did with with uh, Jaime Hernandez. Wow, you know Calvin, Juno Diaz, Jules Pfeiffer, uh, man, you are suddenly on the A list. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was <laughs> that knew? award that did it. I know, right? <laughs> who knew? Yeah. So uh, I'm not worthy, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, so uh, if you're if you're not you know, if you don't have anything to do Friday night, uh, check us out. Go online. Uh, it's actually being put together by this uh, kind of grassroots literary community uh, around the new bookstore Word Up on the uh, up in Washington Heights. Uh, so um, check it out. Um, I'm really nervous, but it's uh, going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be. All right. Well, I guess there is more to come. And <laughs> we did it. Yes. And, and remember to check us out on iTunes. Yes. Bye. See you.